Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. Our current series is called Hidden Angels. The premise behind this series is to highlight certain people in our congregation who have done amazing things for other people. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading for today is really the beginning of the story of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our second scripture reading is Luke 10, 29 to 37. As Judy said, it is a continuation of the parable of the Good Samaritan. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, He passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've come to the last sermon in our sermon series, Hidden Angels, and I have to say I'm a little bit sad that we are at our last one because it's been really neat to hear about you all, the things that you have been doing to change the world for the better. I'm also a little sad because I really like the opening to all those videos, you know, with the little angel and everything and the music behind it. Pat myself on the back for that one, you know, putting that together. So anyways, it was, uh, (laughs) I'm a little sad to see it all go, but We've come to the end of it, and for those of you who haven't been here, the way that this series works is that we are lifting up people from our congregation who have done amazing things for others. We begin with a pre-taped interview, which is where you see that graphic, and then from there, that lays the foundation for what we're going to talk about. And then we look at the topic from a social, cultural, spiritual perspective, and from there we pose the question, How does God want us to live differently as a result of all of this information? So let's take a look at our last interview for this series. Hi, my name is Lee Levinsky, and I've been at First Presbyterian Church since I was a baby. So I 
didn't want to get up on a Monday morning because it was supposed to be a snow day and then it didn't really turn out to be a snow day. So I, I was like really mad. And then my mom said I should consider myself lucky and because I get to like learn and go to school, we started researching um, all, like all over the world to see if there's like any schools who we could help, but it didn't really, it was like sort of like a fail because we couldn't find any schools online. So we went to Mrs. Allen to see if she knew someone in Chicago with the school and she had a friend who worked at an inner city school and her good friend worked at Bobie in elementary school. So we went through research, we found out that everyone at Bobie Inn Elementary School qualifies for free lunch. So if they can't afford lunch, they can't afford school supplies. Me and my mom presented at the Youth Ministries Committee to see if we could be the VBS fundraiser of the year. And then we got accepted. When that was all done and like when VBS was ended, me and my mom went on the stage and we saw like a big pickle jar Filled with, filled with coins and like bills and it had over $400 in it. And then there's two big like treasure chests almost and they um, were filled with backpacks and all the school supplies that you could like ever imagine. And then we went shopping at um, the store to get them supplies and, they, and then we gave all the stuff that we got to Miss Allen and she donated it to the kids at Bobian. And then we we got a thank you note from them and they're really grateful and appreciative and it's cool that younger even kids young can give back. I want to thank Lee for being willing to do that interview. I think that what she did uh, with the VBS project is really inspiring. And the fact that it all started over an argument about whether or not she wanted to go to school or she was going to have to go to school because it was snowing, I think that that really speaks to the heart of this series in a very profound way, which we're going to get to later on. So we'll come back to Lee and her work with Bobian Elementary later on. For now, I want to get into the parable of the Good Samaritan. So this parable is actually quite unique because it encapsulates the Christian walk in a way that really nothing else does in the New Testament. The impetus for Jesus telling this particular parable comes from a conversation that he's having with a lawyer, which I kind of love, to be perfectly honest with you, because, you know, my wife's a lawyer, and, you know, here we are, 2,000 years later, lawyers everywhere, lawyers back in Jesus' day. The point is, nothing changes, right? Everything stays the same. <laughs> so he's, he's having this conversation, and the lawyer poses a question to him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus does what any good rabbi would do. He answers a question with a question. And he says, what do you read in the scriptures? What, what do you see there? And the lawyer at that point turns and speaks what we know today as the greatest commandment. And you all know the greatest commandment, right? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You've heard this before, have you not? I assume more than a few times throughout your journey as a Christian. Now, what makes this rendition of this particular passage so unique in Luke's gospel is that his is different from the way that it comes down 
in Matthew and Mark. Because in Matthew and Mark, Jesus is the one who speaks the greatest commandment. In Luke, it's a lawyer. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. In Luke's gospel, the most central tenet of the entire Christian faith is spoken by some random lawyer with no name. That's how it goes in Luke's gospel. Now, he does that for a very particular reason. Very particular reason. Because, as I said, all of you in here, you've heard this before at some point or another, have you not? But living it out is an entirely different issue. And so, the reason why Luke puts this into the mouth of the lawyer is that he wants to give Jesus a chance to interpret it, to talk about what does it mean. Because for Luke, the greatest commandment means nothing if you don't know how to properly interpret the text and apply it to your life. And so the text continues after he gives this explanation. He says, well, the text begins, but wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is where he begins the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, here's how the parable begins. He tells a story. He's telling a story of a man who's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. During Jesus' day and time, the path from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was known as being quite dangerous. Now, that's a picture of the path as it stands today. And what you can see is that it's very windy. It goes through all this hill country, it's mountains. And during this day, it was actually known as the way of blood. And the reason why it was called the way of blood is because robbers and bandits would hide in the various nooks and crannies along the road, and they would ambush people as they were coming along. So if you were going to use this road to go from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was really the only way you could get there, you usually walked it during the day, and you did so in large numbers. Now, we are not told anything about this man who's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know if he was walking by himself. We don't know if he was doing it day or night. All we know for sure is that he was unlucky and he fell into the hands of robbers. The robbers, they ambush him, they strip him of his clothes, they rob him of his valuables, they beat him, and they leave him for dead. Now, Jesus tells us that three people cross paths with this man who lays dying on the side of the road. The first person to cross paths with him is a priest. Now, priests in Jesus' day and time, they were held in very high regard. They were considered to be moral authorities. It would be like me as a pastor crossing by this person. And the priest, when he comes across this man, he decides not to stop and he continues going without providing assistance. Now, you as the audience, if I was telling you a story about me crossing paths with somebody dying on the side of the road, what would your expectation be? Would I stop? Yes. You would hope I would, right? Okay, and that's the expectation that they have of the priest, that he would stop. So he keeps on going, right? Next person to cross paths is a Levite. Now, a Levite was also part of the priestly class, but did lesser functions, and was not held in quite so high esteem. Still a moral authority, still you would have the expectation that the Levite would stop and help this man. But he keeps going, and again, does not provide assistance. Now, there have been a lot of explanations offered over the years as to why the priest and the Levite do not bother to stop 
to help this man on the side of the road. I've read almost all of these explanations, and I can tell you that the one that I like the most actually comes from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So Dr. King, in the last sermon that he preached before he was assassinated, talked about this particular parable, and he knew what the road looked like. Now, he says, if you put yourself in the mindset of these two men, the priest and the Levite, they're walking down the road, and they see this man off to the side. If you think about what they could have been thinking, they don't know if he's been there 10 minutes or 10 hours. They don't know how long he's been there. So they see him, and they think to themselves, if I go help this man, maybe the robbers are still around. Maybe they will end up hurting me. So that could be why they keep going. He also hypothesizes that maybe the reason why they don't go down to help them is because they think that he's part of a trap. So he could be faking his injuries, and if they go down to help him, then he's going to become a target. Now, regardless of the reasoning, the mindset is clear. Can we agree on that? The mindset is very clear. They're thinking to themselves, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? So they're being what? We would say they're being selfish, right? That's where they are with things. They're being selfish. Now, we can all understand this, right? Have you all ever been to Chicago? Okay. Have you ever seen somebody who's needy right there on the sidewalk? And have you walked past them before? Everybody's done it, haven't they? We all understand this. Even the most giving of us understand what it means to be selfish sometimes, consider our own needs, and walk by someone who needs help. Now, the setup in this story is really important because by telling us that these two very moral men walked by this man who's dying on the side of the road, it makes the punchline of the parable that much more powerful. Because the people in Jesus' day and time, they would have expected that the final person to cross paths would be an Israelite. And an Israelite's just an everyday average guy, average Jew, who's walking by. So the formula was a priest, a Levite, an Israelite. A priest, a Levite, an Israelite walk into a bar, right? Like that's, I guarantee you, they told stories 2,000 years ago. They told jokes with that as part of how they built it up, right? But Jesus, he deviates from the normal formula. And instead of using an Israelite, he uses a Samaritan. Today, we think of Samaritans as being great people, right? Because what is it? It's the parable of the what? The good Samaritan. So it must have been a great guy. What we don't realize is that the Samaritans had quite a reputation back in Jesus' day. There was a lot of antipathy, a lot of bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. They kind of hated each other, to be perfectly honest. And this is for a lot of different reasons, but perhaps the most important reason had to do with their religious differences. So the Jews and the Samaritans, they come from the same ancestral line. So just take a look at this map. You see the map up there? So down there, you see Judea. So you see Jerusalem, you see Jericho. So that's the path that they have to travel to get from Jerusalem to Jericho. Right above it is Samaria. So that's where the Samaritans are from. Again, similar ancestral lines. They're right next to each other. The difference is that they had a Bible, right? Just like we have a Bible. And our Bible comes from the south. The Old Testament we use comes from Judea. They have a different version. We have access to that. Some of that has survived throughout the centuries. And theirs is different. They have different ways of interpreting the stories, which means they worship different versions of the same God. 
So it's like they have the same God from the, New, from the Old Testament, and they're worshiping just different versions of that. And the reason why it's different is because the Samaritans, they would actually marry from outside of their culture. And by intermarrying, it changed the way their religion looked. And in many ways, you have to realize that the Samaritans looked down on the Jews. They felt that because they were so ethnocentric, they were just really getting it all wrong. And so what would happen is the Samaritans would sometimes attack the Jews. And the Jews, by the way, didn't hesitate to return the favor. It's not too different from what we see today in Jerusalem, right? Down in the Holy Land. What happens? The Israelis and the Palestinians, they're constantly trading shots with one another. So perhaps a better modern retelling of this parable would sound something like this. So a man is attacked and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And the first person to cross paths with this man is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa comes past him, sees him, and keeps on walking and does not provide him with any assistance. The second person to cross paths with this man is Nelson Mandela. He sees him on the side of the road dying, but keeps on walking and does not provide him with any assistance. The final person to cross paths with this man is Osama bin Laden. And bin Laden, he stops, he cares for this man, and he tends to him, providing him with aid. That's what it would have been like to hear this parable in Jesus' day and time. Jesus is playing on our prejudices in this parable. Because our prejudice is that this person is evil and is not capable of doing anything good. But in the parable... The Samaritan, the evil one, the Osama bin Laden of the story, that's the only person who is not selfish, the only person who is sitting there and not saying, what will happen to me if I help this person? And indeed, he's the only one who asks the question or feels compelled that he has to do something to save this person from harm. So the parable goes that the Samaritan takes the man, lifts him up, puts him on his animal, takes him to an inn, and he cares for him there. And then when the Samaritan has to leave, he goes to the innkeeper, gives him some money, and says, continue to take care of him, and whatever extra expense might be added, I will pay for that as well. Now I think it's important for us to realize at this point in the parable that when it comes to the Samaritan and this man who he's helping, He doesn't know who this man is. He has no relationship with him. In fact, given the context of the story, more than likely, they are enemies with one another. So Jesus' answer to the question that began this entire parable, the question that prompted this entire parable, which was what? What was the question? Who is my neighbor? Is actually quite profound because the neighbor in his story is everyone, even the people who you hate. And that's why this particular parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is so incredibly important because it gets down into the detail of how Jesus expects us to live as Christians. And what this parable is telling us, what the Samaritan parable is telling us, is really difficult. So we tend to be pretty good at caring for people who we're close to. Like, how many people in here, would you care for your family? If your family was in need, would you, would you go to bat for them? I hope so. My goodness, wow. <laughs> They're like, hey, well, I don't know. It depends on which family member. Like, <laughs> tell me which one. 
then I'll give you a better answer. <laughs> okay, so you'll go to bat for them, right? Most people will go to bat for their families. How about close friends? I mean, I don't know. We didn't do too well on the families. Maybe close friends isn't going to work. Maybe my example wasn't well thought through. So, okay, so close friends. If you have a close friend, are you going to go to bat for them? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Now, beyond that circle, once you get in to people who are your acquaintances, strangers, even your enemies, right? Your willingness to go out of your way to help them decreases significantly. Significantly. There is something natural inside of us. We have this natural inclination really to only help the people and go out of our way for the people who are close to us. We have evolved to help those who are our own. If you are not part of my clan, then I am not going to go out of my way. You have to earn the right to receive my care. Is that the way we generally feel? Is that the way? Wow, you guys, wow, you must be real tired today. (laughs) Is that the way you generally feel about it? I mean, unless you guys are really going out of your way to help your enemies, probably that's how you feel, right? So what Jesus is telling us is that you have to step outside of your comfort zone. He's saying, What you need to do is you need to be there and care for people you don't even know. He's asking us to let go of our fears and most importantly to be selfless. And the reason why he asked this of us is because this is how he lived his life. One of our greatest goals as Christians is that we try to emulate the life that Jesus lived while he was here on earth. And if you've ever taken the time to read about Jesus' life, if you've ever taken the time to see his teachings, you know the bar is pretty high, right? It's pretty high. And the fact is, we're not very good at living up to Jesus' expectations. And we feel guilty about that. I mean, we're not as good as the Catholics at, you know, really putting the guilt out there, you know, in the same way. But we're working on it here. We're doing our best to try to get the guilt out there. But the fact is, even though we don't hit the bar all the time, we do hit the bar, don't we? I mean, there are some times where I'm really surprised how God helps us to get to the point of even exceeding our most lofty expectations. But the reason why a lot of people end up just saying, ah, it's not worth my time, is because it's hard for us to consistently hit that bar. But just because we struggle to get there doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And this is why I love Lee's story so much. You see, Lee, in many ways, is the perfect example of the Good Samaritan. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So first of all, Lee's a kid. And as adults, do we not have prejudices towards kids? Of course we do. As adults, we sit there and say, well, kids can only do so much, really, for the world. They can't really do that much. They're not going to change the world, really, all that much for the better. And so when we hear this story of Lee arguing with her mom about not wanting to go to school on a snow day, what do we think to ourselves? We think, oh, well, she's complaining. You know, she's doing what all kids do. They're ungrateful. And we expect she would just go about her life, right? But that's not what happens. Lee does something that is very unexpected in this instance. When she discovers that not all children are like her, that there are many kids around the world who don't get to go to school, and don't get an education, when she discovers that there are whole schools full of children not 30 miles away from where she lives who have no access to even basic school supplies, she doesn't just keep going. She sees the guy dying on the side of the road, Bobian Elementary, 
And she says, I've got to do something about this. I'm going to raise money. I'm going to buy school supplies. I'm going to make a difference. When I started this sermon series 11 weeks ago, I told you that my goal was for you to hear about all these different things that people are doing and that you might be inspired by one of them, just one of them, to invest and change your life and be part of that endeavor. So whether it be working with asylum seekers and tutoring them, whether it be working with the foster children like we talked about last week, maybe it's working with people who are struggling with addiction, maybe it's working with people who have cancer like we talked about a couple weeks ago, maybe it's just doing what Lee does, going out and buying school supplies for kids who need them. My hope was that you would see one of these things and that you would invest and you would go that extra mile to be like Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you the honest truth, guys. The honest truth is that most people don't want to be bothered. Most people don't want to step outside of their comfort zone. They want to coast. They want to do the things that feel good to them, and they want to avoid the difficult, challenging aspects of life. And in truth, that's what connects all of the people we've been talking about over the last 11 weeks. Yes, they are doing the things that Jesus asked them to do, but they are also willing to step outside of their comfort zone in major ways, major ways. They see a need, they are willing to go fill that need regardless of the inconvenience that it might bring to their lives. And this is what I want you to take away from this sermon series, this one thing, Being a Christian is inconvenient. I want to say that again. That's really important. Being a Christian is inconvenient. Being a Christian does not make your life easier. In fact, it makes it much more difficult because unlike everyone else in the world, when you see a need, you don't get a pass. You can't just keep on walking like everybody else. When you see a need, you have to stop You have to tend to that need, and you have to do whatever you can to change it, regardless of the inconvenience that it might bring to your life. And this is why the parable of the Good Samaritan is so incredibly important for us, because it lets us know in no uncertain terms the responsibility that Jesus has laid on our shoulders. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's huge. It's not easy to do. But on the other side of that inconvenience... On the other side of going out of your way to help somebody is something extraordinarily beautiful, something remarkable. And I'm talking about change. When you are willing to inconvenience yourself and serve a need, you don't just change somebody's life for a moment. You can change their life for years, decades, and in some instances, entire lifetimes. Because you were willing to be inconvenienced. Because you were willing to step outside of your comfort zone. Because you saw a need and felt that it had to be addressed, you changed the world for the better. Yes, that one minor change is just a drop in the ocean of need in our world. But if every single person who called themselves a Christian was willing to be inconvenienced, then that drop would become a storm. And that storm has the ability to change the tide of our world forever. My friends... There is nothing convenient about being a Christian, but that's what you signed up for the moment you became a follower of Jesus. So let us leave here today 
knowing that we have a renewed sense in our hearts that it is not business as usual, that we will not go about our lives as we always have, that we will not take the easy path and avoid the harsh realities staring us in the face. Instead, when we see a need, we will stop and we will do everything in our power to try to change that situation for the better. We will lift up our brothers and sisters and we will bring them hope. We will carry them on our backs. We will bind up their wounds. We will care for them and make them better. And then we will do it all over again for the next person who we come across because that is what we are called to do. We are Christians and we heal the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.